from Kirkco Media. This week on Life Done Better. Luckily, and I think it's through a lot of the teachings that my mom shared with us, is that I just wanted to be happy. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think I'll have less regrets doing what I truly love and being happy than sacrificing myself for fame or money. Welcome to Life Done Better. I'm your host, Sylvie Young. My guest today is Julia Mancuso. Julia won four Olympic medals and five world championship podiums. Hey, Julia. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. When did you officially retire and what does does it actually mean when you retire? Does that mean that you're not competing but still training? Um, What does it mean for you? In a big way, I retired from competition. So I retired mostly because of an injury. So it was a little bit of a forced retirement, but I was also at the age of retirement. So both of those things sort of happened. It was actually really hard for me. I was going for my fifth Olympics, which I would have been one of three athletes going for the a record fifth Olympics as a winter female Olympian. So I was really looking forward to that. I think mostly just showing the longevity in sport and the age is just a number and you can do whatever you want. But unfortunately, my hip, which I had been dealing with since I was basically 18, just wasn't holding up. So I had another surgery and I couldn't quite recover from it. I was having a really hard time walking and skiing, but I was very determined and strong-willed to get to those Olympics. And so I was still working my way back onto the tour and I retired, I guess you officially retired right before those Olympics. So I guess being retired just means I'm not competing, but I'm still an athlete. I think I'll always be an athlete. It's a weird transition to go into to say, because you were retired from a competition to say that you're retired from your sport. And I've been dealing with that transition for the last two years. I thought I wanted to get into big mountain skiing and doing more film work and traveling a bunch to do that. And then I found myself pregnant. So it really couldn't have come at a better time. (laughs) And so it was nice to have, you know, the pressure of being pregnant to kind of say, okay, you're going to take it easy. You're definitely not going to the top of the mountain with the risk of death because you're starting a family. Yeah, you're delivering a miracle (laughs) on this planet. So let's take a little break. And also having endured uh, the injuries and, and the pain related to that, pushing through the pain, you know, making sure that you you are ready for competition must have been really hard on you mentally and physically. And when you're in it, you're in it. But when you're out of it, you may look back and say, gee, that was kind of crazy. Yeah. Because the listeners like also need to know your age, right? Because when we talk about retirement, we think, you know, of, of much older than 36. And that's what you're now. And so you retired when you were 34 officially. Yeah. Yeah. So you've had this whole career and now like your body is not doing what you want it to do. Like you've really pushed it to the limits. And here you are thinking, okay, how am I going to get to the next half of my life or more than half? Right. And I'm so glad you had that hip replacement because that really has changed it all for you. Right. Yeah, it really has. And so looking back, you know, the question you asked is how you think like when you're in it, why didn't I do these other things earlier? For me, I look back and I'm actually really grateful for those experiences because I learned so much, the resilience and mostly attitude. I learned a lot about staying positive in the worst situations ever and also turning off the volume of all the naysayers and people who don't support you, like where it really comes down to yourself and knowing what you want. And also knowing you earned the opportunity 
to allow yourself to go through that. So for me, I had all the success and I solidified my position on the team to where in my own heart, I knew it was my own choice and privilege to take my own path and do what I wanted. So yeah, I don't regret it. It was really, really hard and I cried a lot and there were a ton of difficult moments, but I do believe I learned so much in those two years that made me even a stronger person. I love hearing that. Yeah, because we all deal with so much hardship, so many challenges, and also our bodies don't always work the way we want it to work. And uh, those times that we can feel really down can also be some of the most wonderful and mostly in retrospect learning lessons in our life that really transfer and upgrade our life in ways that we couldn't even imagine. During your career, was skiing always passion related or did it at some point become a real job and about making a living? It started as passion and it always was passion. I actually didn't know that as a kid, I had no idea you could make a living from ski racing. I think a lot of people still probably have no idea that you can actually make a living from these different sports. I mean, I think it's becoming more common now because of social media. So I think there's a lot more pressure on kids and you know a lot more about opportunity and sponsorships because back when I was starting racing, I mean, it was just pictures in the newspaper. That's how you got your recognition and stories and articles being written about you. There was no social media presence or popularity contests on there. There's a lot more pressure now. Yeah, there's so much pressure. And I think it goes back to being the popular kid in school. It's like, it's not necessarily about results anymore. It's about whose pictures are better. And I think that's really hard. So I have to say there was a lot more passion when I was a kid because there was no outside noise. It was really easy to focus on what you really loved. And when I was 16, I had to make the decision if I was going to be a pro or not, because that's when I won my first bit of money. So the first tour stepping stones to the World Cup tour in skiing is called the Noram Cup. So it's just mostly in North America. And it was the first year that we had prize money. So when I was 15, I won $10,000 for winning the tour. And it was a big deal because if you take any money from your sport, you can't compete NCAA. So if you want to get a scholarship to university, you can't accept any money. Otherwise, you're ineligible. Oh, I didn't know that. It's changing now. If you are that age and you present it $10,000 and you're like, "Uh, do you want to make this a professional career? Um, Yeah. I I know, right? (laughs) But I do remember having this conversation with my mom and saying, I'm going to take the money because who knows? Let's just see where it goes. And you also have the option, which I found out, to give the money back when you turn 18 and decide to go to college. You can actually pay back the money to wherever you got it from and then you can be eligible again. So I just figured, hey, worst case scenario, if I don't make more money than it would cost for me to go to university, I'll just pay it back and then get a scholarship. But In my mind, I'm thinking, well, maybe I can make more money than it costs to get a scholarship and I can just pay for my own school. See, I'm I'm not an Olympic athlete, but I'm hungry for money, of course. I'm sure you give tons of people advice as a mother, a health coach, a friend, a wife. I'm sure people will constantly ask you about your mindset because you are very, very all about positive energy. And do you feel like that has naturally been part of you or is this learned behavior? It's definitely learned behavior. And I was so lucky to have a very strong, empowering spiritual mother. She always taught me to look at the bright side and to use the power of my intention to make life better, really. And she always taught us to use the secret. The secret was a big book and well, um, the movie in our household. We 
She made us watch The Secret. I was very young. It was right when it came out. And really just take that intention and feelings and goals and and put it out there and know that our mind really creates our reality. And so anytime that I was having a hard time, I mean, I was a typical kid, especially teenager, you know, at home bored or super bummed when I lost ski races. I worked hard. That was a given. And I loved being outside. I mean, that was pretty natural for me if we're talking like how I got to be the best competitor. But when you reach a certain level in any sport, it's 99% mental. I totally believe that because in skiing, we train all the time with each other and we're timing all the time. I mean, my whole teammates and I were very similar and we'd get into the race and whatever circumstances are, the very first run counts, of course. And so I would do really well and the rest of my teammates would not do as well as they were hoping. So I know the potential was there and that was something my mom taught me. She was always just like, clear out the external noise, stay positive and stay focused. And then I think the best lesson that I always learned about staying positive is putting on the stop sign to negativity. So anytime negative thoughts came in, it was always stop. I'm not thinking about that. I'm going to focus on what's positive. So you focus on is what manifest. Beautiful. Yeah, it's it's so important to catch that even at a, especially at a young age and I'm so glad your mom taught you that from a young age and it's constant practice, right? I'm sure there's still things that really annoy you. Yeah, and it's just recognizing that anything that comes at you, I love the vision of a drop of water and just imagining it roll off you. So anything yeah. that gets thrown at you, you can deal with and really compartmentalizing things, especially things that are negative or problems and realizing that that's not who you are and that you can deal with it at a certain time, but taking a few deep breaths and then moving on. That's a good visual. Another thing is always practicing what you preach. Of course, I'm normal. I'm human. I have a hard time. And one thing I know I can do better, especially after being on this like crazy schedule where everything was planned out for me is I'm just like, I never want to be a planner again. And so I don't write things down. I don't schedule things and I don't plan. And so my life is a bit chaotic now. So it, there's an in-between like of not getting too organized, but also not being chaotic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not being a slave to your organization, <laughs> but being driven and using, yeah. you know, the positive energy to manifest your destiny and create goals and reach those goals. And how did you deal with the pressure of performing? Like, did you ever have problems sleeping at night? Did your nerves keep you up? I'm a really good sleeper. So I think I just loved my sleep. And maybe as a young kid, I was so active and my mom kept me so busy. I realized that sleep was just such a good way to regenerate. So sleeping has not been a problem. As far as pools, jet lag, and times when I can't sleep because I'm thinking too much, that's the only time I've been up. It's not really nerve, but sometimes I'm up like thinking a lot and I just take a little bit of melatonin and CBD and I sleep really well. So I try to sleep on my own, but if I have to, there, I think there's a lot of really great natural remedies that help. And for me, it's not necessarily about sleeping. It's more shutting my brain off. I need to be so tired, which is also where physical activity comes in. So just getting enough exercise, which can be really hard for me too now. Like I love to play, but prioritizing physical activity has been really hard having a kid. So I'm learning a lot. I think I'm almost worse than most people because I was, like I said, on such a strict schedule that I don't want to schedule anything. And then all of a sudden now raising a kid and, and I love pouring everything into this tiny human. I think coming from a career that was so selfish and I did everything for myself. Now I just kind of want to go with the flow and make sure that he's happy. So I find myself forgetting to get enough exercise. 
I, I think you've exercised enough for the rest of your life, even if you counted the hours. So you should give yourself some freedom. But knowing, of course, that if you need it for your headspace, you probably still walk and you're still active. But you you know you compare it to a very intense training schedule. Yes, that that is true. And I, there's nothing more healing than just getting outside. So going outside before bed, that's always really nice. That helps me sleep if I watch the sunset and just get out of the house. Yeah, totally. Yeah talking about how I calm my nerves as I loved to practice Qigong before racing. And that was another thing that I got made fun of a little bit because people would see me shaking and maybe following the ball of light and just re-energizing my body. But I always had this philosophy that before skiing and before racing, so for people who aren't familiar with ski racing, you have a start number and there's a start time and there's a start interval. So you pretty much know exactly when you're going to kick out of the start gate. And this will be some point, a couple hours before you get to the mountain. So first we'll have like a whole warm up where you get to ski around, either maybe ski a course and then you'll get to inspect the course. And then a couple hours later, it will be the actual race start time. So you kind of know exactly when you're going to leave the start gate. So I would get up there 15, 20 minutes early, get my core temperature up just so I'm ready to physically perform. But then I would just do a lot of relaxation techniques like Qigong to sort of clear my mind because I felt like if my body was just in this really calm, status where it was vibrating at a high frequency, I was going to perform better. And so I didn't want to think about the course or the training or my technique. I wanted to get up there and just like do as much as I could to just sort of be free. So Qigong really helped you be present and to kind of drown out the nerves or noise that's going on before the race and that helped you get super centered and win. Yeah. And and hopefully win. Yeah. Yeah. What is the biggest misconception people have about you? Well, being a mountain athlete that spent a lot of time in Maui and really being free-spirited, the biggest misconception about me was always that I didn't try very hard and that I didn't really care or that I didn't train as hard as my competitors. I wasn't one to go brag about how much I lifted in the gym or how many hours I spent working out. I was someone who talked more about the fun experiences I had. So maybe when I was done with the winter and of course when social media started, I would always post pictures of surfing and fun. And my competitors would post pictures of grinding in the gym and, you know, being sweaty and miserable and how if you work harder than everyone, then you're going to win. And that just wasn't my philosophy. My philosophy is that everyone knows how to work hard and I'm sure everyone's doing it. It's not a competition about who's working harder than the other person. And I almost felt like it's not very nice to say I just work harder than you because that's sort of discounting other people's journeys. So my philosophy was always just to share what makes me really happy. And so if running intervals didn't make me super happy, or not to mention if I just didn't take a picture of it. Right. It was done. It was over. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. On medicine, we're still practicing. Join Dr. Stephen Tabak and Bill Curtis for real conversations with the medical professionals who have their finger on the pulse of healthcare in the modern world. Available on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Produced by Kurt Co. Media. Welcome back. I'm so glad you did that. You know, I'm so glad you were looking for other ways to 
recover, have fun, because really that's where the magic happens. If you're only focused on that one, the one price or the one thing that you really need to achieve, you can really get burned out. And so you're doing fun stuff and being a bit more leisure. And again, doesn't mean that you're not putting in the work and that you're not training hard because you do, but it's really just giving yourself that freedom. And I think everyone can learn from that. We have to give ourselves permission to enjoy life more and to do a little less too, as in, do I really need to do, even now as a mom, do I really need to have my house in perfect order all the time or work out all the time? Or am I going to sit back and read the magazine with that cup of tea that I really want? Yeah, definitely. And also just figuring out what your end result, what you want out of it. So that was really important to me. And I was always just reevaluating what my main goal, what did I really want out of ski racing? What did I want out of traveling the world? And at the end of the day, it wasn't necessarily to win. So everyone could say, you're so amazing. You're such a great winner. I wanted to look back at my career and I wanted every day to start with a smile and finish with a smile. And I wanted true joy in the experiences and adventures that I was living. If I attain X and Y and Z, what is that going to bring me? And is it joy that you're searching for or is it recognition you're searching for? And what does that actually mean if you get recognized? So I was able to realize luckily, and I think it's through a lot of the teachings that my mom shared with us is that I just wanted to be happy. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think I'll have less regrets doing what I truly love and being happy than sacrificing myself for fame or money. I love that you say that because it kind of reminds me of your podcast, Just Be Yourself is the title of the podcast. And why did you choose this title? <laughs> I also was going through a transition like what do I want to do how do I make an impact and of course how do I want to share my story and I've just feel like I have so much to share and joy to share with the world and I was talking to a friend of mine my producer that I worked on another little show with and and he said you know I really really connected to your hosting I thought you did a really great job maybe that you know if you're interested I think podcasting would be a great way to share your story. And a lot of the themes that just kept coming up is just being myself was how I really found success and found joy. So that's where the title came from. The best you can be is yourself and you have found yourself. What is the biggest lesson your son or being a mother has taught you? Since he is 14 months, my son, Sonny, is 14 months. And I didn't really read very many books about babies. It really, I was lucky to have this just natural mother ability. And it just felt normal for me to have a little baby. But then all of a sudden he started doing some things that made me realize, you know, I know nothing about toddlers and <laughs> about developing just good habits in communication, in skills, like not throwing a tantrum, <laughs> not throwing tantrums. So I've been learning a lot about that. And, and so it comes down to discipline. That's what I want to be really good at. I want to be good at discipline because I think looking back, I don't really agree with how my parents disciplined me. I think it was the root of a lot of mental problems, mental health issues. And I'm a very strong person and I haven't ever had to deal with anything super serious. But when I look at my insecurities and the way I react to authority and some of the things that I want to work on within myself, I think it all comes down to discipline and being disciplined a certain way. As parents where they 
trying to discipline you too much and you were rebelling against it or was there too little discipline? Yeah, I think more like authoritarian discipline mm -hmm. where you, there's no discussing what's right or wrong. It's more, this is right, this is wrong. You do as I say. Gotcha. And yeah, I just don't believe in that. And I'm learning more and more about it. I'm really enjoying, I have a book called No Drama Discipline and it's the whole brain child. So it's also just connecting your le child le left and right brain. And their basic concept is redirect and then come back and discuss why something was wrong at a time when they're ready to learn. So it's like fight or flight mode, right? When your toddler is throwing a tantrum. And let me just say, this is all new to me. So I'm going to be learning as I go. But that's just something I really want that I've learned. I want to be really better at because I think that we have a lot of influence in our children's mental health development from a young age. Back when I was being raised and a lot of people my age, the millennials, there was just a certain way to discipline your children and parents were this authoritarian figure. And I mean, I know all households are for sure different, but I just think it was pretty common to discipline in that way. And I know also from being an athlete and growing up so fast, I feel like I might have skipped over some things, but I just had a really hard time with getting told no and then just creating emotions that don't need to be there. Like I want to be more of a problem solver and I want to teach my kids to be problem solvers and without attaching to emotion, I don't think that you should take things so personally. I think that's what it comes down to. So being able to discuss stuff with my child, I want to really just share that with him and also be there to learn and grow together. I'm sure that this is going to be covered in a few episodes on your new podcast show. Just be yourself. <laughs> Especially as he grows up. <laughs> I'm sure you learn so much every day and that he's going to test your boundaries. But I'm also sure that your Olympic mindset is going to make you a wonderful mother. And, you know, you're going to hopefully share all the things that you learn with all the women out there that can learn some new strategies and ways to communicate best and how to set boundaries and discipline kids in a non-authority way. So last question for you. How do you raise your vibration during the day? That are maybe two tips that you can give all the listeners and say, hey, if you're feeling down or if some you know, negativity comes in or if some drama actually sticks and you want to raise your vibration, what can you do? Well, there's a couple things that I really love. One of them, which is a combination of something I did for myself in skiing and also what I learned in health coaching. So if you need a cue, it's basically you can put a hair tie around your wrist or just wear something on your body that will visually cue you to turn your mind to things that make you really happy. So it's always great to write lists of what you're grateful for. We try to do it every night before bed, five things that went well that day or just five things in general that you're really grateful for. So just a funny example, when I was skiing and I was having a hard time, I had just purchased my home in Maui, which made me really happy. I loved surfing. And as one of my coaches pointed out, you could not buy real good jelly donuts in Europe. They always had cream or something weird inside. So we made mm -hmm. this joke that I loved them. I don't know where it came from because I'm like not a huge donut person. <laughs> but on that day, it really stuck with me and made me laugh and happy. So my list would be right before I got into the start gate, I would think of my house in Maui, jelly donuts and surfing. 
And so (laughs) that automatically just raised my mood and raised my frequency. You can do the same thing at home, which is why I like the idea of wearing something like a bracelet or just a hair tie on your wrist if you're having a bad day, because every time and you put it on with intention, every time you look at it, it'll make you think of those things you're grateful for. So that's one way. Another way is taking post-it notes and writing your affirmations and putting that on your mirror or on your refrigerator. So keeping your goals or just what you look forward to in your life, somewhere visual that you walk by all the time and that you see all the time. Those are just great ways to remind you to stay on track and to stay happy. So things that really make you happy, if you can visually get cues to remind you of them, that will raise your frequency. So you're coaching yourself in these moments. Yeah, it's self-coach and just reminders. I think that anytime it's the pause button, put the pause button on and remind yourself about the things that make you really, really happy in life. Then hopefully when you go back to what you're dealing with or just your thoughts for the day, you'll be in a little better place to deal and manage them. Thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge and you know these nuggets of wisdom. I really enjoyed talking to you and I have learned a lot and I'm sure everyone that's been listening is inspired and can stay in touch through Instagram. Yep, Julia Mancuso. We'll put that in the show notes. And your podcast, Just Be Yourself, is launching on October 1st. All right. Thanks so much for being on the show and spending time with me. Much love. Thank you so much for having me. This episode was recorded for Kurtco Media, produced and edited by AJ Mosley, sound mastering by Michael Kennedy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Until next time, my friends. From Kirkco Media, media for your mind.